Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Privileged to have with us now a gentleman who's uh, accomplished more with his life than many lifetimes over. He has been a uh, accomplished football player, college football Hall of Famer. Uh, he was a Super Bowl champion with, with the Washington Redskins. A great broadcaster after his playing days. Dabbled in acting. He's been in a couple movies. Accomplished speaker, but perhaps the greatest attribute he possesses is he's a fellow Notre Damer, ladies and gentlemen. Joe Theismann. How you doing, Joe? <laughs> I'm doing great, Vic. Thank you very much. Forgot Arthur. I mean, hey, what the heck? We may as well throw them all in. Yeah. If you're going to accolade me, I may as well just jump that one in. But no, I, I appreciate all the kind words. Thank you. Well, a little bit of everything with your career, and uh, that's why you're the perfect guy to talk to for our uh, podcast here. It is called Unstoppable, and you've had some moments, some adversities in your career, in your life that you've overcome. So uh, let's start from the very get-go. Football and Joe Theismann. How, how did you become introduced to football? Why did it become a thing for you? Well, you know, you know it's really funny. It seems like at every phase of my life, there is a story that sort of goes with it, and it really starts with football. Uh, my mom wouldn't let me play football at the age of 10 or the age of 11, Pop Warner football. I mean, I grew up two blocks from my high school, and there was a football field, baseball, diamond, basketball courts. We had them all out there. And so I used to do all that kind of stuff. But then I wanted to play Pop Warner football. My mom said, no, no, no. So one of my buddies, Tommy Barra, who went on to have a career in the FBI for 25-plus years, Tommy came dressed to the house in a uniform to sell my mother on the fact that I would be safe. So Tommy shows up in uniform and my mother consented uh, and allowed me to play football starting at the age of 12. And that's really when I got introduced to it. I always wound up playing football with older people. Uh, when I was 12, I played with guys that were 14 and 15. I just, you know, I had a strong arm and I could run and I was a skinny little kid. Nobody could really, you know, catch me. So I, that's how I really got introduced to football. Joe, you had choices. I mean, you could have gone the baseball route, right? You were drafted by a couple of major league baseball teams. Why'd you choose football over baseball? Well, I, I had an opportunity to try out for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then I actually got drafted by the Minnesota Twins uh, in the 66th round. As a matter of fact, I still have the contract. It was a $500 contract. And they said, we're making you a minimum offer contract. And uh, if you're serious, we'll talk serious. But we think you're going to go and play football. I, I felt, and baseball was always my first love. I started playing baseball when I was seven, eight years old. But I felt like if you didn't make it in football, you'd know right away. In baseball, there was double A, triple A, um, all the different categories. And it's a longer process. In football, you basically know whether you've got it or not. And so I chose coming out of college, I, I chose professional football. But for me, you know, once, once I got into football and things started to take off, that was where I was going to be. Well, Joe, this is going to be my only Notre Dame question because I don't want to make this all about the Golden Dome. We know you were an All-American there. You hold a lot of records to this day. This show is about overcoming adversity. I want to know how when you played at Notre Dame, 
How did you overcome the obstacles of going to an all-male school before became co-ed? St. <laughs> Mary's wasn't too far away. But, you know, <laughs> you, know you, sometimes you got to make the walk, okay? You have to make the walk if you want something. And so as a, here's, this, is a, this is a true story. Uh, all, all my stories are true. Well, not all, but most of them. But there was a young lady by the name of Margie Broderick who I went on on one date my freshman year and one date my sophomore year, both of them with Margie. I focused on football and my grades. I wasn't a good student. So academically, I really had to apply myself. And, and probably the best thing that happened to me was Notre Dame being an all-male institution at that time. It was in 1972 after I graduated, I believe, women were allowed to graduate from the university with a degree from Notre Dame. I think that was right. But you know, the, the thing was, for me as a, as a football player, I was one of 13 quarterbacks. I was 152 pounds when I entered the University of Notre Dame. And I was, see, back then what they did is Notre Dame signed athletes and they made them something else. You didn't, you didn't necessarily sign a, a linebacker or just a, a defensive back or a running back. You signed quarterbacks and you made them other things. And uh, so what I did, I, I, as a matter of fact, the book I have out is called How to Be a Champion Every Day. And one of the stories I tell in the book is going to Notre Dame a week early. I, went, I, I invested a week of my life, went there got a feel for the offense, started to understand what was going on. And then what I did was uh, when practice started, you know, I was sort of the guy that knew what was going on. So I immediately moved up the ladder because I had spent invested one week of my life learning the system, learning the cadence, learning where to stand in a huddle. And then, you know, coaches, just like any executives, they want their meetings to run smoothly. And so practices are like that with coaches. And so I wound up, you know, sort of, getting uh, a start on the quarterback job as a freshman at Notre Dame. And that's, and we, we played one game that year. We played Pittsburgh. That was it. Joe, when people run into you on the street or when they're just having a conversation with you over the phone, wherever, do they want to know first about your college and pro football career, the all American accolades, the Super Bowl win, uh, the MVP in 1983 for the NFL. Do they want to know about your lengthy broadcasting career or is the first thing they always mention the gruesome injury in 1985 that forced you into retirement? What do you think you're most known for? You know, it's funny. Now I get people come up and say, I know you. And I'll go, well, thank you very much. I saw you in that Hallmark movie. So um, <laughs> I've done a couple of Hallmark movies. And, and I, I get that. I get that now. But the thing that I do get inquired more about than anything is my broken leg. People will come up and say, I remember that night like it was yesterday. I mean, the movie, The Blind Side, it's the first five minutes of the movie. Um, and when I do my presentations, I talk about how that night changed my life. See, with all the success that I had in professional sports, um, I really became, uh, you know, very self-centered, uh, very egotistical. I thought the world revolved around me. I was the most important person in the world. And then all of a sudden it was gone. I mean, it was gone in an instant. I tell people, snap your fingers. That's how quickly your life changes. And mine changed just like that. And I had to reflect and see who I was. I had to become very introspective about my life, who I had become, what, were, what was important to me, what was really important to me. And that's what I ask people to do now. See, with this pandemic, you know, people say, oh, life's going to change. I don't think of the word of change. I think of this as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look at your business. It's an opportunity to look at yourself. It's an opportunity to look at your relationship in your family. And with your friends, this is a tremendous opportunity. You know, in football, we get a bye week. During that bye week, they don't study the opponents. Coaches study themselves. 
They study their team. They study their tendencies. And I think, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a six month bye week right now in society. And if people stop and really think we were all on remote control, we were all just moving along at the same speed, doing the same thing, committed to the same events every day and just moved along. Now, all of a sudden, everything stopped. Now we have to sit, step back and say, okay, where am I? You know, what's going to be out there going forward? And so for me, you know, when I went to Notre Dame, investing that little bit of time was great. But then, uh, you know, obviously when you, when you break something on Monday Night Football, people remember it. And it was really the first time that they, they showed that kind of an injury. And they don't do it anymore, if you notice. Oh, yeah. I really think it changed the way networks present uh, injuries. It's like, you know, we'll go to commercial and we'll be back. Joe, I, I, I remember watching it live. I mean, I, I remember seeing it happen. We all saw it uh, happen. And, and you were 36, I believe, at the time. 35. 35. Okay, well, that injury forced you into retirement. So I have to ask you, if you were 25, if you still had your entire NFL career ahead of you, could you have been able to continue playing somehow? I think I might have been able to because uh, about two years after that, when I was in broadcasting, I used to run defensive drills for coaches around you know, uh, in the league. I mean, I'd go to San Diego. I'd go to Cleveland. You know, I did it with Belichick. I did it up in New England. I did it uh, in San. At that time, it was the San Diego Chargers. You know, I could throw it around. I mean, I still I, I was able to move. Not quite like I was, but if I was 25 years old, I probably would have been able to come back and maybe had a chance to compete for a job. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I didn't really become a starting quarterback in the National Football League until I was 25 years old. Um, I spent my first two years as a punt returner. When I came out of the Canadian Football League in, in 1974, I was a punt returner in 74, punt returner in 75, 76, 77, played very sparingly. I was a holder, so I played in every game, 163 consecutive ones. And then in 78, Jack Pardee took over from George Allen, and I became the starting quarterback. So from 78 on, but I mean – I was 26, 27 years old when I when I had a chance to become a starting quarterback. Let's take a little break right now, and we'll be right back with NFL legend Joe Theismann. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus, a world-class medical destination at the forefront of education, science, medicine, and healthcare, right in the center of the Rocky Mountain region. And we're back with former All-American from Notre Dame and Pro Bowl quarterback from the Washington football team, Joe Theismann. You know, to this day, 35 years later, whenever there is a, a gruesome injury on the playing fields or on the playing courts, your name comes up. And from what I understand, is it true that when you are made aware of one of these injuries, you more often than not pick up the phone and talk to the kid who suffered that injury? Yeah, I, I try and do it. Yeah, I, I really, um, there's, there's the physical rehabilitation of everything that we deal with if you hurt yourself physically. But when you go through the trauma, like, like we've gone through certain, you know, with this kind of an injury, there's a mental aspect to it also. And I try and sort of give them an idea of, of what the road's going to be like a little bit. Uh, there's going to be frustrating days. There's going to be good days. Um, but, you, you, you know, you can't get down on yourself. You can't just let you know, doubt overwhelm you. You can't wonder. You just keep working and listen to the doctors, listen to the therapists. You know, I sort of want to be a sounding board of like, well, 
you know, this happened, I, you know, I'm feeling this. Well, I felt that. So I can sort of relate to it. And it isn't just athletes. You know, a young man reached out to me one day and he said his father had broken his leg skiing. Uh, would it be possible for me to, to talk to him uh, about the rehabilitation process? And I'm more than happy to do it. I, I'll, if I find out somebody's been hurt, I'll do everything I can to just offer my services. Not everybody responds, but I say, look, if you need somebody to talk to about this, just let me know. Just reach out. Let me know. I'll be more than happy to get a hold of them. It's almost therapeutic for you and the person you're speaking to. I totally get that. Have you spoken? Have you reached out to the guy that everybody now parallels when it comes to this injury? And that's the guy who also shared a position you played in Washington, D.C. And that's Alex Smith. Have you have you talked to Alex about what he went through? Yeah, Alex and I have spent a lot of time in conversation. Uh, we uh, Last year, we, we were in the box together and talked about, you know, just the game, the field, how he was feeling. Um, I, I saw him at training camp last year, what he was going through, the price he paid. The leg break is similar. We had the exact same break. Where the complication started is where the difference is between the two of us. I did not have complications with my leg. It wasn't rotted, and it grew back with what's considered an 11-degree varus. Uh, it's a, between the ankle and the shin bone. It sort of bows a little bit. It forced me to walk on the outside of my foot you know, creates knee and hip and back issues a little bit, but I, you know, you deal with it. In Alex's case, he had 17 surgeries. They basically scooped out the entire front part of his leg. It came within 24 hours of losing his leg. And I just admire so much. And now he's competing to be the starting quarterback for the Washington football team. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, Alex and I have talked a lot. Uh, I tried to, I kept up with him as time went on just to see his progress. I've seen the videos. I watched the E60 Project 11. Um, and that he was, he was actually, it was funny, the way that show ended, he was much further ahead in his rehabilitation than where, that, where they stopped filming. Wow. So I was excited for him. Joe, that, I watched that. And when they showed his leg, the leg was eating itself, essentially. It looked like something from a horror movie. Four different bacteria were eating him from the inside out. And literally, they came. They were going to take the leg within 24 hours. Um, I don't know Robin's last name. She was the orthopedist for the Washington Redskins at that time. Um, and she said just they, they wanted to give it just a, a little bit more time to see if the antibiotics were going to work. And they did. The whole thing tells the story of, of what price you want to pay to be special. And, and con- this is the one thing I get from so many people regarding Alex is he has everything. He doesn't, it's not a question of money. It's, it's, you know, he's been very successful, but the thing is people just don't understand us. They don't understand the professional athlete. It's not about the economics. It, you know, it's about proving to yourself that you can do it again. It's not on your terms, things I never had a chance to do. That's what makes you special. You know, a lot of people would just say, oh, to heck with it. I'm done. And there's a certain group of people that just, just won't acknowledge it. Well, that, that's why that's why we want you on this podcast, Joe, because it's called Unstoppable. And and you talked about the residual pain you've had in your ankle, your knee, your hip from from the injury thirty five years ago. But that's not stopping you, even at what are you seventy one years old now? I'll be seventy one next month. All right, so even at seventy seventy one years old, you haven't stopped. Hey, Joe, we're taping this mid-August, and I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, and this could all change by then, but football in the fall during a pandemic, where, where do you fall on all this? What, 
like if you were playing today, how cautious would you be? What what would you be trumpeting at this point? Yeah, would you want to play or would you opt out? I would want to play. I'd always want to play. I've always wanted to play. I mean, you know, I used to, when I was, you know, when I was playing professionally, I, I wanted to stay on the field. Um, I just love the game and I would want to play and I want to have a chance to compete. You know, a lot of seniors out there could wind up in a very difficult situation. I feel for the kids from a gradu- high school graduations, college graduations now, they can't experience so much of what people have experienced like we did, you know, graduating at Notre Dame. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I would want to play, but I would certainly want to make sure that all, every precaution was being taken care of. And I believe the statistic is like 99.6% of uh, kids, if they do have it, recover. A lot of people are asymptomatic. It appears that, um, depending upon obviously when this airs, but it appears that you know professional football is having a pretty good run right now. Not too many cases showing up. Early on, schools like Texas and Clemson had a, a fairly large number. That seems to have gone down now. Um, and it, it's just, I would have wanted to play. I mean, certainly you want to protect yourself as much as you can. You want to social distance when you can. You want to wash your hands. You want to wear a mask. Those are all things that you want to do. Um, you, you don't get foolish and crazy. This, you, know what, you know what I admire so much during this time is the basketball players. They're away from their families. They're stuck in a bubble, and you don't see a lot of them. Every now and then, somebody, you know, crosses the line. But I admire them so much for 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 staying the course and saying, you know what? If we do the right thing, we can have sports. We need sports. This country needs live sports. Period. And and football is the benefactor now of what we see in hockey and baseball and basketball of how we might be able to get into it. Uh, from a football standpoint. Joe, let's bring it full circle here. You, you and Vic are both Notre Damers. What do you think happens with the, the Fighting Irish and the football program? Well, I, I think, you know, we're going to be, people have been clamoring for us to join a conference. Now we're in the ACC. Uh, they've got a very good football team. Ian's coming back. Um, and, you know, so they've got a veteran quarterback. They've got, you know, I think they've got some terrific young offensive linemen. Defensively, they've been very good uh, historically. And they have good skill players. Uh, Tommy Reese is now going to be the offensive coordinator to go over for Chip. Uh, and so, you know, I think going forward that we're going to be a pretty darn good football team. And, you know, the schedule is going to be in a conference. We're going to compete for a conference championship. Now, will there be a national championship? I don't know how you can have a national championship when you don't have the Big Ten. You don't have the Pac-12. You have, you know, a lot of universities are deciding not to participate when it comes to college athletics. Uh, in general, it's also going to be a tremendous financial strain on so many universities. You know, we're talking about something right now, but one year from now, who will be the ones that survive? What will be the businesses that survive? What will be the universities that will survive? What will be the programs that will be available? That is going to be, to me, the greatest challenge that we face. It's tough now, but it's going to be tougher in, you know, six to 12 months. Uh, Les, I'll leave this interview with one brief story here. Uh, last time I saw Joe at the University of Notre Dame, I expressed my woes on the golf course. I said, man, I just keep I keep fading the ball. I can't figure it out. And just to get inside the mind of a ex-professional athlete, he spent the next 25 to 30 minutes on a dissertation on how to properly <laughs> swing the golf club from inside out. And I asked one question about it. And I sat there and I went, okay, how do I soak that in? <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody once yeah. said to me, you know something, Joe's never met a mic he didn't like. <laughs> Joe, you are simply the best. We appreciate your time. We appreciate uh, your unstoppable qualities. And uh, thanks again. Best of luck to you in the future, buddy. Thanks, Vic. Thanks, Les. Hey, listen, you guys take care of yourselves. And to everybody out there, please, you know, we got to this particular point where we have more freedoms because we were smart. Let's keep doing the smart things. So stay safe. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 